Father, it is our prayer that you do draw us near. Um, Whom have we in heaven besides you? There's none upon the earth that we desire besides you. Flesh and our heart may fail, but you are the strength of our heart and our portion forever. So, Father, meet us now in your word. Father, pray that you would have mercy upon us, have mercy upon me. Out of the overflow of your perfections, pray that you would saturate the heart of this, your people, for your glory and for our good. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And the church said amen. Amen. The church said amen again. Grateful for the opportunity uh, to share. Uh, Thankful for the music ministry. I was joking with Amos. I told him to make it easy for me. Uh, We we both, I think, come from traditions where, you know, the the song before the sermon can just kind of do the sermon itself. Then I don't have to do much. I can just get up and say hallelujah and sit down. I'm thankful for for him and and for all of those who serve uh, in our music ministry to usher us into the presence of God. Uh, If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the 39th Psalm uh, this morning. Psalm 39. As you're making your way to Psalm 39, I would ask that you would stand uh, for the reading of God's word. Psalm 39, someone who's using a pew Bible, if you can just uh, shout the page number of Psalm 39 uh, if you're using uh, one of the blue Bibles so, so I can say it out loud. 457? 467. Uh, Psalm 39 in the Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, just raise your hand. Uh, I think they're coming down the aisle uh, with the word um, right up here in the front, right here. I didn't mean to point at you. She right there. You know I love you, my sister. You know I'm joking. You know I joke a lot. The number again was 467. The 39th Psalm. When you have it, say amen. If you need a minute, say wait a minute. She needed a minute. Amen. Psalm 39. Let me get situated here. Uh, And it reads, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me, and as I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. 
Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume him like a moth. What is dear to him, you consume like a moth. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Such is the reading of the word of God. You may be seated. For the time that is ours to share, I'd like, to us, uh, like for us to consider together from this passage, this thought, the brevity of a believer's life, its hardships, and its hope. The brevity of a believer's life, its hardships, and its hope. Uh, Pastor Jahil's already read this, but I, I was going to start here anyway, so I'll just keep it how I had it. It is that great New Testament writer himself, the Apostle Paul that reminds us of what we would come to understand as our doctrine of Scripture. There are other places that we go in the New Testament in particular to understand what the Word of God means to us. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 tells us that no prophecy was written by the will of man, but holy men spoke as they were moved by God. But Paul, in the second uh, chapter that he writes this letter to Timothy, Timothy's a young pastor, and Paul is about to exit stage right of life. He's at the end of his days, and he wants to remind Timothy, a young pastor, to keep the main thing the main thing. He says something about the Word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he says, all scripture is God-breathed, literally breathed out by God. And he says it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Whenever I approach the Psalms, I have to remind myself of that passage because the Psalms, and I've said this before, they tend to not get a good rep with us. Those of us who exist in this sub-community within American Christianity, I don't know what you would call it, but we have a, a high view for the doctrine of Scripture, for the authority of Scripture. We like uh, this word that we say, robust theology. It's robust. You know, it wasn't until I got around particular Christians who like to use the word robust that I ended up using it a lot. I didn't know you could apply the word robust to anything theological, but we like robust doctrine. And typically in our, in our communities, when we think about robust doctrine, the Psalms are not the first thing that come to mind. 
When you think about robust doctrines, when you think about robust doctrine, you think about the Pauline epistles and the Pauline data and, and how Paul systematizes what Jesus teaches us in the gospels. We don't ever say it, but even, even we're a little weary of what Jesus is doing because Jesus, you know, he's, he's confusing people on purpose. We like Paul to put it together for us. Paul helps us understand what it, what it means to extract from the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, what it means to extract from the gospel, and what it means to, to, to put together a system of doctrine so that we know what we believe and why we believe it. The Psalms typically don't come to mind immediately like that. The Psalms are where you go when you're in your feelings. The Psalms typically, I'll be, I'll be honest, Psalms is where I went where I didn't know really where I wanted to go. And since the Psalms is the longest book in the Bible, you know, you just be flipping and, and you just keep seeing Psalms, Psalms, Psalms. So like, Maybe I'll just stop here and read about my feelings. As I engaged our text for today, I was reminded of particular aspects of the Psalter. We're going to spend, we spent time in the Psalter. We're going to spend more time in the Psalter. I was minding particular aspects of the Psalter so that I can engage this passage appropriately. And I want to, want to share just some of the reflections that I thought about. This isn't a deep dive on the Psalms in general, but these are things that I had to think about before I read this passage again. Number one, the Psalms are theological. Don't get it twisted. The Psalms are theological. The Psalms help us understand what it, what it means to know God. In the Psalms, you'll see God's attributes rehearsed over and over and over again. His loving kindness, his mercy, his goodness, his hesed love or covenantal faithfulness. The Psalms rehearse those things for us. Not only do the Psalms rehearse the attributes of God, but the, but the Psalms help us understand what it means in the Old Testament in particular to understand what it means to wait for a coming Messiah. The Psalms develop that theme for us. So as a matter of fact, when you get to the New Testament, and particularly the Gospels, Jesus himself will quote from the Psalms more than any other Old Testament passage or book. Of all the quotes of the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Psalms take up more than 40%. So whenever somebody in the New Testament is, is quoting from or alluding to the Old Testament, they're probably quoting from or alluding to a psalm to make the case about what it is that Jesus has done and who he is as a person. But the Psalms are, are, are not just theological. They're not theological in the sense that Romans 5 is theological. The Psalms are, 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 are what theology looks like when it is applied to real life. That's what I like about the Psalms. See, people in the Psalms keep it real. I know that's like an old pat phrase, but I'm not cool, so I'm going to act like it's new. People in the Psalms keep it real. The Psalms are what theology, all that good and high theology and, that, and that, that doctrine of God that you love, the Psalms show what it looks like when you actually have to believe that on Monday. There is everything in the Psalms. Everything. It's like petty Psalms. <laughs> There's what I call get them God Psalms. 
Those are, those are called imprecations or imprecatory psalms, and they have a particular purpose in that moment in redemptive history. But there are psalms that cover the range of human experience. There are psalms for, you know, I'm, I, you know this might not be you. You might not be more, might be more mature than I am. There are psalms for when you go on fake book and, and you, you, you start doing what you're not supposed to do, and you start just, well, let me see what, it, what this person is in life. And then you say, well, well God, wait, wait a minute, wait a, wait, wait, a, wait a minute, God. I know they're not living right. How I, don't ask how I know that. Somebody told me that told somebody else that they weren't living right. I know they're not living right. And they got a picture of the 2019 Audi A4 with all the upgrades, Meanwhile, my mechanic told me that I need brakes and rotors. And rotors. God, God, help help me. I'm not hating God. I am a little bit, but I'm not hating God. But help me understand that. There's a song for that. You realize that, right? That's not new. People were looking back back in the day like, explain that. I'm with you. There's a song for that. Or when you're in a a, a praise-worthy mood. So that was Psalm 37, but you're in a praise-worthy mood, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all let me bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Heals all your diseases, forgives all your iniquities. You're just in a praiseworthy mood. There's psalms for that. Or if you're overcome by guilt and sorrow of, of sin, and in a particular day you recognize that your life is not meeting with the expectation that the New Testament calls for a Christian, you're seeing the gap between what is laid out as how one should walk and how you're actually walking. There's psalms for that. Psalm 51 is a good place. Not only are the psalms showing us what theology looks like lived out in everyday life, but the psalms are, I'm going to get to our psalm in a second, psalms are occasional. When I say occasional, I'm not referring to the frequency in which they are written, but I'm talking about the fact that the Psalms typically refer to a particular time of redemptive history. They refer to a particular account that a Psalm typically corresponds with something that has happened in the history of the Psalmist's life. You'll see this a lot with David, that Psalm that I just mentioned, Psalm 51, that's his, his, his confession, his penitence over his sin with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Psalm, David is reflecting over that and he's writing this psalm that will become a part of the hymn book of the nation. That's fascinating to me because you think about the fact that these things are usually put to music and sung. They singing about what they saw on fake book. They're singing about the praiseworthy experience that they're, that, they're, that they're singing about, their lament and their penitence and their sorrow. They're singing about it. So the Psalms are better than any kind of playlist you will ever put together. And we get real good and creative. I got my going to the gym playlist when I need to get a little, you know, rough. <laughs> don't, tell, don't show that to everybody. 
But this is, this is Israel's hymn book. This is what Israel used to approach God in worship. Psalm 39, like many songs, psalms, is a deeply emotional psalm. Yes, the psalms are theological. Yes, they're occasional. But the psalms are also emotional. And oftentimes it's that emotion that masks the theology and the rich doctrine in the psalm because psalmists are, are, are letting it all out. Psalms are emotional, and this psalm in particular, Psalm 39, is deeply emotional. Cannot discern the occasion for Psalm 39, which frustrated me as one who likes to know stuff. But scholars are, are, are not on one accord about the particular occasion that, that Psalm 39 emerges out of. But then I, I recognize that that also might be a benefit for us because Psalm 39, David is going to go a lot of places, and we're going to see this. But Psalm 39 also is David reflecting over what it means to be chastised by God because of sin, sins that he does not name, experiences he doesn't name, he doesn't make clear, because typically what happens, I would say when me, when a preacher gets up and starts talking about sin or a particular occasion of sin, what my mind tends to start to do is think about all the ways that he ain't talking about me. But I cannot discern the particular occasion of this psalm, which means that it is yet broadly applicable, so we all got to pay attention. He ain't talking about me. Theological proposition that I want to track from is this when facing the trials of life from Psalm 39 fight for divine perspective and cling to divine hope say it one more again when facing the trials of life fight for divine perspective and cling to divine hope so point number one what does it look like to fight for divine perspective? Let's focus on the first six verses of this psalm. Now, David is going to let us in on something. He's going to let us in on his resolve. And I think this is important to understand because he is a man in anguish here. He is emotionally a wreck. He's a bit unstable. And he recognizes his instability, and so he has to set out first what his resolves are. And he says it this way, I said, or in other words, I made up my mind that I will guard my ways that I might not sin with my tongue. David is, is, is vacillating between the tension that exists between self-control and corruption. Because when, when you're going through a trial, you, 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 tend to, you, you, you tend to get a little off kilter. And David understands that I have to resolve in my mind as I think about my, my anguish and this trial, this experience that I'm not enjoying. I have to make up my mind that I'm not going to sin with my ways or my words. He said, I said I wasn't going to say anything. Look at the first couple of verses. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. David, what you talking about? I 
David understood that what James would tell us in James chapter 3, verse 2, if anyone is able to guard his mouth, if anyone is able to not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. David understands that the tongue, when I think about how to muzzle the, the whole body, the tongue in particular has its peculiar ways. And when you are going through something, you just start saying stuff. When you're in a, in a, in a trial, and, and, and maybe you've been in a trial for a while, and, 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 and you don't really understand it, and, and you have a, a kind of a complaint even about it, you, you, you begin saying some stuff that might not accord with what you say you believe and who you say you are. David doesn't want to commit that sin. Temptation to murmur and complain and just flat out go off is high. David understood that when you're going through whatever it is you're going through, how you go through is important. Now, I, I tend to not like that. I want to just get through. I don't care if I got to stumble through, uh, tumble through, backflip through, fall through. As long as I get through, I, I, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll be up here singing. But David understands that, that it's not just about what you're going through, but how you go through it is important. And he understands as well that as king of a, of, a, of a theocratic entity, David is king over Israel. God has appointed him and anointed him to serve as his representative. David understands that people are watching him. Because I'm not going to sin with my tongue while I'm in the presence of the wicked. I want you to catch this now. I have friends like, well, congratulations, Stephen. That's good. I do. I have friends. I have different categories of friends. I got, I got friends who are, are like-minded believers who share my worldview, who can handle some, some of the, 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 the deepest and darkest things. I got, I got those kinds of friends. But then I also got some other friends. You know, I pledged a fraternity when I was in college. Where we at? There we go. Amen. Pledge of fraternity. When I was in college. Only fraternity that exists. It's only one. I pledged of fraternity when I was in college, and, and I still keep up with the bros. And we, we are even, I'm, I'm just laying it all out this morning. We even on a group chat. My bride ain't even seen this group chat. This is really bad. We ain't even on a, we on a group chat. And they get to talking about, they, they, many of them don't share my worldview. That's a good way to put it. So when I'm, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm chatting with them, I have to be mindful of not just what I talk about, but how I talk about it, because they know that I'm a professed Christian, and I don't want them to get the wrong idea about me or about my God. Some days I do better than others. But see, that, 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 this is important because David understands that God is concerned. You see this with Yahweh all throughout the Old Testament. God is concerned about how he looks. 
And that's often dependent on, in particular settings, how his people are going through what he has sovereignly ordained for them to go through. God, God, God cares about what you make him look like. You don't believe me? Think back to Numbers chapter uh, uh, 13 uh, when, when God brings out the children of Israel. You see that exodus uh, and all types of movies that have been made about it. God brings them out and God tells them that he's going to give them a particular land. And, 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 and God sends out spies to spy out the land in Numbers chapter 13. Remember that? He sends out the, the 12 spies and, 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 and most of them come back with a bad report. But only two of them, uh, uh, Caleb and Joshua, say, yeah, we, we, we can go in and take that land. God has given it to us. But the people with the bad report were saying, look, yeah, it's everything that God said it was. It's got grapes and it's flowing with milk and honey. But there's some big people over there. And it's a land that literally, the, 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 the Bible says it's a land that it the devours its inhabitants. God, you, you, you said you gave it to us, but it don't look like it's ours. Because when we went over there, there were some giants over there. And the Bible says in Numbers chapter 14 that the people believed the report, uh, the negative report, not the positive report. And, and here's the conversation that, that God has with Moses. God's like, okay, here we go again. Here we go again. Okay, you know what, Moses, I'm, I'm, I'm through. I'm through with them. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to get rid of them. I'm going to just smite all of them because I'm a mighty smiter. <laughs> and Moses, I'm, I'm just going to start over with you. We gonna, I'm going to make you a great nation. You cool, but I just got to get them. And listen to what Moses says. Moses doesn't appeal to God on the basis of the righteousness of the people. He know they whack. Moses says, God, if you brought them out here, and you end up smiting them, other people will think that you can't keep your people. Think about that. Moses says, wait a minute, wait a minute, God. You brought them out with a mighty hand, but the other nations might, might conclude that you brought them out and you left them to die. They might conclude that you're not as powerful as you say you are. So God, on the basis of who you are, don't kill them. And God goes, you know, you're right. You're right about that. You're right about that. You're right about that. You're right about that. that. That's literally Numbers 14. Go home and read it. You think I'm lying. I say, go home and read it. That's literally how the conversation goes. David understands that how he talks about or how he might be tempted to talk about what he's going through before wicked people, he might say things that are wrong about himself and wrong about his God. And he can't do that. So I'm going to be quiet as long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent, he says. I held my peace, but it was to no avail. He says, I, I held my peace, but it was, it was to no avail. David will transition here because David wants us to realize that, or the Holy Spirit through David wants to realize that the best thing you can do is bring your lament to God. If you're going through something, and I don't know what you came in here going through, I'm sure there's a lot of different experiences, and, and some people are going through something right now. Whatever it is, the best thing you can do is ultimately bring your lament, your complaint, your concern, your cry, bring that straight to God. Now, this is a community of faith, and we are blessed to have a community of saints who, who on our best days will point you to God. We'll speak the word over your life. We'll remind you of things that you ought uh, remember in times like these. Remember what the word says. Remember what the Bible says. Remember, remember how, God, how God is good and he's gracious. But ultimately, you want to bring that thing to God. 
You ever tried to explain something that you were going through to somebody else and confessedly, you didn't really understand it yourself. You're still trying to fully understand it. You have questions yourself, so it's not really on them that they didn't understand it. But you ever tried to explain something to somebody and they were so off in their grasp of what it was that, that, that you resolved, it would take more energy of me to try to fix their understanding of it so I'm going to just let them go on. So you just sitting you're like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, that, has that happened to anybody else? You, you, you're you trying to, to relate and explain. Here's what I'm going through. And they're like, oh, yeah, I, I think I know where you at. And you're like, that is not where I'm at. But guess who perfectly knows where you at? Guess who knew where you would be before you got to where you are? Guess who orchestrated and tailor-made where you were going to be? So David, that, that was the spirit. That was nothing but the spirit. So David recognizes that, that he needs to bring his, his, his lament to God. Look at what he says. I tried to hold my tongue to no avail. And so I have to speak. My distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me as I mused, as I, as I contemplated and thought about it. Because when, you, when you're going through a trial, it's, it's always on your mind. Amen. It's, it's, it's all-encompassing. It's overwhelming. You, you, it's like a, 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 a movie that doesn't end. You keep replaying it over and over and over again. And David says, as, as I'm doing this, it's just building up in me. I just, I, I, I got questions. I got concerns. I got cries. I, 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 got, I got to tell somebody. He says, then I spoke with my tongue. And he directs his words to God. And look at his request. This is, again, grasping for a divine perspective. Oh, Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. So not only does David vacillate between self-control and corruption, he now has to deal with the difference between temporality and eternality. What does it mean for something to be short-lived and for something to be eternal? Lord, help me to know what is the end of my days. That's interesting because when I tend to be going through something and I have something to say to God, it tends to be about the details of the thing I'm going through. Well, God, why do you have to say this? And why did this have to happen? And then why did I have to go here? David seems to bypass all of that, and he goes for a broader perspective. Lord, help me put this thing in context. Jesus is calling. Oh, Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. So here's the thing. Dave, David actually thinks that this is, this, is, this is helpful. This is instructive for us that when I'm going through something, it's probably best not to focus just on the minute details of my particular experience. But I need to ask God for a perspective that extends outside of that experience. Lord, don't let me miss the forest for these trees. 
Lord, remind me what this all is about. Or as as a songwriter would say, Lord, help me to understand that that this has an end date to it. He's not not asking God to tell him his death date. No, Lord, okay, so is it going to be Tuesday at 2.30? What are we doing? Are you taking me out? That's not what he's asking. He's asking for for the Lord to help him understand and acknowledge and consider as he wrestles with his particular trial to consider the greater work that has taken place. Lord, teach me, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. And you you, you might think, you might think that that, that, that reflecting on, on the brevity of life You're like, well, how how is that going to encourage me? That just sounds like more bad news. It's bad news that for one who is not in God, but for one who is in God, when you reflect over the brevity of this life, you know, there's another life to come. Make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days. You have made my days, as Jahil already said in his prayer, you've made my days a few hand breaths. That's literally the width of, of the palm of the hand or four fingers. That's how long my days are. That's how much time we have. It ain't a lot. Life is, cliche as it sounds, it is short. You know, we think we, we, we big and bad and we got, we got years and years and years left and we're going to accomplish all these things. You know, I was driving in a car a couple weeks ago and uh, my son, uh, Jude, my oldest, oldest son was in the back and uh, he likes to, you know, shout out, you know, dad, I want to hear this song. I want to hear that song. So we just jamming uh, to songs and, and, and I look in the rearview mirror and, and, and Jude is looking uh, contemplative. He's, he's got his daddy personality. So he's always thinking about something with his forehead all scrunched up. And I said, well, Jude, what, what, what you thinking about, man? And he says, uh, Daddy, when I die, um, am I going to have a body like I have now? And so I'm just like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you just you just not prepared for that. My 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 three year old is contemplating the nature of his mortality. And, and my, my knee-jerk response was to try to, and this, this, is, this is where God caught me, was to try to tell him something that would make him think that thinking about that, it, 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 that that's far off. You, you, you don't have to worry about that. that, that, that that's, that's not, that's not going to be a detail of your experience. You don't, you don't worry about that. Just tell me, what, what song do you want to listen to right now? And right before I said something, the Lord caught me because I was thinking through the song. And the Lord caught me and he said, no, 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 no. You, you, you can't do that. This thing is, is short. Now, you, you communicate that in appropriate ways and you understand the level of maturity that he's at. But don't make him think that death is not a thing. Hebrews tells us that it was given unto man to be born and then to die. And then the judgment comes after that. This is, this is going to happen. And that, that, that's a sobering word. That's a, that's, a, that's a very sobering word for believers. It's an even more sobering word for those who don't believe. If you're not a Christian in here today, if, you're not, if you don't know God, let me remind you that this, this, this has an end. This is not all that there is. David says, I want to I be reminded of that. As I, as I go through what it is that I, I'm, I'm going through, I don't, I don't want to miss that. Because that might force me to make the wrong 
assessment of what it is that I'm going through. I might miss the fact that eternity might, might be waiting, but I, I, I want to re- remember what it means to know that I'm fleeting. My lifetime, look at second half, verse 5, is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. That's all we got. That's all you got. A breath. It's not even here today, gone tomorrow. It can be here today, gone today. That's all you got. And I and I have to I have to I have to remind myself of that because it, you know me me and my bride we we do a lot of stuff and we just running and we we we're pursuing things and we're trying to accomplish things. But you you can get caught up in that, you know. You know, I'm, I'm back in school now, and I'll be back in school for forever, it seems like. But, but you know, you, I, one day, I don't, I don't know how this dropped in my head, but one day I was like, Lord, I, I want you to come back, but I've been pursuing this degree so long. Let me walk across the stage before you come back. I don't know where that came from. But you can be so caught up in the particularities of this life that you forget that this life is not this life, that this life is about the next life. So, Stephen, how, how, do, how do you do that? How do you, how do you live in this world and hold this world loosely enough so that if he, when he comes back and says, okay, that's it, it's time for, time for what's next, you're not disappointed. Lord, how do I how do I hold my, my my family loosely? I love my bride. I love my children. How do I how do I do that and hold it loosely? Temporality versus eternality. Man goes about verse six. He says as a as a shadow. He's just, he's just rolling with the with the metaphors here. Man, man, man goes about as a, as, a, as a shadow, an imitation of a substance. He said that's what life is. It's, a, it's an imitation of something substantive. It, it's, it's a mere shadow. You recognize, you see a shadow, and the shadow is not really the substance. The shadow is just an imitation of the substance. He said that's what our lives are. You say, well, well, well Dang. There are things that I really care about. There's work that I'm, 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 I'm engaged in that I think has meaning and has purpose. That's true. But in comparison to eternity, it's, it's, a, it's a shadow. So, so, you know, we go to work. We got, we got jobs. Uh, you know, you, you, you work uh, for a living, you you work for things. You know things have to be paid. So here's 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 what I don't want you to take from this. This is this was a problem in the New Testament when when Paul started talking about uh, the second coming. People got a little eager. They they quit their jobs and they started sitting up on their house. Paul says, "What are you doing? If you ain't gonna work, ain't nobody gonna be feeding you." Is what Paul is saying, right? Well, man doesn't work. He doesn't eat. Paul said, "Go to work." They, 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 they took what he was saying a little to the extreme. He's, Paul was talking about the second coming and talking about how glorious it's going to be and how soon it's going to be. But he was thinking in the, uh, the telescope of time, it's soon in terms of God's perspective. But that doesn't mean you stop working in the here and now. 
So, Lord, how do I work uh, for the things that I'm working for, but that I don't, I don't live for the things that I'm working for? Work for things. Don't live for things of this life. Because, you know, when you're living for something, it means that it's your ultimate joy. It's your happiness. You know, people say, I live to eat. You're like, well, yeah, you, yeah you Sure. It means that it's, it's, it's the thing that brings them joy. It's the things that they look forward to. Don't, don't live for things that are in this life. You live for God and his kingdom that transcends this life. You work for things. Sure, get the things. Don't let the things get you. Man goes about as a shadow. Toiling for wealth and things that do not last. When Brother Wed read the, 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 the parable here about... Storing up treasure in this life, but not being rich toward God. David gets this divine perspective about who he is and about what it means to have the brevity that is this life. David then moves from having this divine perspective to having to now make a calculation about what his hope is. Because if he has concluded in his reasoning with God that nothing in this life is worth clinging to, then what do I have to hope for? He's, 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 you see, he's, he's moving his way to the hope. See, he's, this, he's working out this theology. He, David admits he's, he doesn't start there. My God, my hope, end of the psalm. No, no, no. David says, no, I'm not there. David has to work his way to that point, reasoning with himself and reasoning with God, understanding that what God says about this life is true. Therefore, what God says about himself must also be true. So not this life, but God is my hope. You see how he he gets there? And see, this Christian life is, so we profess these things and we understand that that we we, we are positionally in a place with God because we've been united to to Christ by means of the Spirit and the Father has adopted us and we have this positional standing. We've been justified by the Father. But then the rest of your Christian life on this earth is literally living that out. The the, the life of faith is is not you... uh, 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 going on to greater uh, and other things. The life of faith is really you being dug down deeper into the things that you already say you got. In other words, you, 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 don't, you don't graduate from the gospel. You know, you know, I got saved and then, you know, I put that in and I go to the next grade. And I talk about this. No, the, the, the next grade is the Lord taking you down deeper into what you say you already understood. So, so David then now, he, he understands that, the, that there's nothing in this life that he can cling to for hope. So he understands that his hope is in God. He's exhausted all that humanity has to offer, particularly as one who's going through his own trial. He understands there's nothing in this life worth clinging to. So his hope is in God. The divine hope entails not only recognizing the futility of life, but the sinfulness of life. We're moving on now. David's got the divine perspective, and now he's thinking about the divine hope. He's thinking about what it means to hope in in God. Look at verse 7. Now, Lord, for what what do I wait? My hope is in you. Now, here's the thing. When, when, When David recognizes that his hope is in God and he's got his sights now on God, his sights off his problem and on God, 
His sights have now transitioned from the horizontal to the vertical. It takes some time to get there. Amen. Well, it does so for me. You know, so pray for me. But David now has his sights off the horizontal on the vertical. He has a right understanding of who he is and who God is. The next thing, the immediately next thing he does is he starts talking about his own transgressions. Because you, 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 you don't really and truly understand and have a, have, a, have a hope in God until you understand what that means about yourself. See, David was going through a trial and he had complaints, he had concerns, he had things that he probably, bones that he had to pick with God. But as God worked with him, he stops looking at that trial and how he's perhaps the victim and he starts realizing and admitting, you know, God, I do got some issues now that, now that, you, now that we talked about it. You ever been in the middle of a prayer, again, I'm, I, this might be me, I'm crazy. You ever been in the middle of a prayer about a circumstance and, 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 and that prayer starts off in a tone like you, you, you're, not, you're not charging God with something because you're not crazy, but you, you got a little muscle with your prayer with God and you start talking about the thing and then God starts bringing to remembrance what you did and you, you just slow down? I mean, seriously, that, that's, that happens to me all the time. I, I just come to a stop. I'm like, you, you know, let me go get some water and come back to this. I have totally forgot about that. You, you right. You are absolutely right. Oh, my, oh, my God. Is that, I mean, it, it's just me. I've literally been in the middle of a prayer exerting a kind of muscle with God. Like, how could you? We living right. We doing right. And God's like, no, 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 no. And I literally, I don't even know what to say next. I just end my prayer in Jesus' name. In, in, in Jesus' name. Amen. David has his sight set on God now. He has a right view of God, which then encompasses a right view of himself. Let me go gospel for a second. If, if you're in here and you don't know God, you're not in a relationship with God, understand that God is, God is holy. He is right here. Let me just go. He's holy. We, people always ask me about, about judgment and about God's grace and God's mercy and, and sins that he is going to overlook and forgive. And da, da, da. I, I think at the end of the age, I think we're going to realize two things amongst others. That God is way more holy than we ever thought he could be. And then that's going to make us realize that he is way more gracious than we ever thought he was. See, because right now, even for those of us who profess to be Christians, we understand grace and we understand God, but we really don't get it. We, 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 we try to get it and we ask the Holy Spirit to teach us, conform us to the image of, of, the, of the Son. But, but to understand what it means to have, as Jaheel was talking about, a holy and righteous God and to have offended that God. We're like, yeah, okay, I, I offended you. Okay, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. In that realm, there are, 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 are creatures with six wings, the prophet reminds us. And all they do all day long is shout to each other, holy, holy, holy. Th th think about that. We don't even know what that looks like. We're like, okay, is this like a rally? Like, are they pumping each other? No, 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 no. God is so glorious and he's so majestic and he's so holy that there are creatures who stand on opposite ends and shout, holy, 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 all day long. 
What, what, why? You're like, what, what is that? that that's God. That's, that, that, that's God. The one true and living God. Me and you, you and I have offended that God. Therefore, the, the theologians rightly call this thing, they, when they think about the gospel and what it means to have our sins imputed to Christ and have his righteousness imputed to us, that exchange, that sweet exchange, they, they, they call that a scandal. Because it is. That, that's a scandal. So, 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 so the gospel reminds us that there is one true and living God. He's holy and he's righteous. And all of us have, have fallen short of, of, of that, that level of glory. We've fallen short of the life and the standard that that holiness requires of us as those, those of us, those who, are, those who have been made in his image. That's all of us. We have been marred and tainted by sin. And that, that, that sinfulness uh, in relationship to a holy and righteous God, that creates an issue. And if you're not a believer in here, this, 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 this is not one of those issues. Because a lot of us, a lot of us, we're we, we, we good at talking and we, we've talked ourselves out of everything. We know how to like set things up and we, we can kind of manipulate a situation. No, no, no. You, you're not going to be able to talk yourself out of this. This problem that has, that has emerged because of his holiness and your sinfulness, there, there is no talking your, your way out of that. So there, there's a gap. There's a separation. And what, what Jesus does is Jesus now, he comes and he lives the righteous life that you and I should have lived, but we couldn't live. So the, so the eternal son of God takes on human flesh and he walks out a righteousness that you and I should have walked out, but we couldn't walk out. And he dies a death that you and I should have died. Or to put, to put it this way, we just, we just got to camp here for a second. He, the father treats the son as if he lived your life. That's whack. I mean, just, just, just think about that. The father treats the son as if he lived your life. And, and, and when you place your faith in the son, his, his, his righteousness, his righteous work on your behalf, the fact that he is the son of God sent by the father in the power of the spirit to live this righteous life, the fact that he dies on a cross, the death that you deserve, but that he takes your place. When you place your faith in that person, in that work, the father turns around and treats you as if you lived Jesus's life. He credits his life to your account. And so then you become reconciled to God because not you have, that you have a righteousness of your own, but because you've been united to a one who has the righteousness that you need. And he clothes you in his righteousness so that when the father sees you, he sees his son. David reflects over his transgressions. He says, deliver me from all my transgressions. Look at that. He goes from having to complain about his problem to praying for salvation. You know, God, it ain't even about my problem no more. You know what? I just want to be saved. This, 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 is, where he, this, this is where he has walked to. Look, look, look God, it ain't, you know what? Forget about that. I, I, just save me. Look at verse 9. Thought I had something to say? I ain't got nothing to say. I'm mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. 
he, he, so David now, he, he, he tells us that he now has come into an understanding that part of what, at least part of what he's going through, his sufferings and his trials are, are, are because of his transgressions. And so his suffering now has is, is, is been sent to him by the divine hand of God. He says, God, you are the one who are, who's doing this. And you're like, okay, we got we to work, work with that. But here, here it is. Even in his despair, David shows us that sound doctrine is helpful. That, that David understands that, that at this point, he, he's finally coming to the realization that whatever it is that he's going through, God is the one who's sovereignly reigning and ruling over that thing. Y'all didn't get it. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say to people over here. Whatever it is that you're going through... God is the one who is sovereignly reigning and ruling over that thing. That, 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 that means that, 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 that even though it feels like, life sometimes feels like I'm just being tossed back and forth. Life sometimes feels like it's just nothing but chaos. David here recognized that ultimately God is the one in control. David says, you, you, you are the one who, who's doing this. David has, has, has figured it out that, that he's appealing to the right person. So his request now is, I, I, I want to, I, I got to pause here. I got to pause here because cause, cause David has now attributed uh, uh, his suffering. He's now re- configured it. He's assessed it to be chastisement for transgressions. And see, we don't, we, I, when, I, when I was coming up, uh, coming up in church, we didn't, we, didn't, we didn't spend a lot of time thinking through this thing, that, that, that those of us, we, we read it in Hebrews, that those of us whom he has adopted as sons and daughters, that, that because he's a loving father, he will discipline us. Now, now, now we, we, we think some kind of way about that. I remember one time when I was, uh, I was, I was doing young adult ministry several years ago, and this was this, this person who uh, was in the young adult ministry, and uh, they, they, they had gone to, to several doctors because they were experiencing something uh, in their body, and, and several doctors couldn't figure out what it was, and they, they kept going to a doctor and coming back, giving me a report, you know, Reverend Harris, no, nobody understands what it is. I don't, I don't understand about what this is. I've been praying, and, I, and I, I don't, I don't, the doctors can't figure it out. And I, and I, I just posed a question. I said, oh, well, gosh, you know, I, I'm not a doctor either, so let me, let me not say something that's wrong. Um, I said, um, well, you, you know, do you, do you have any unconfessed sin in your life? And, and the, the, their eyes got real big because they, 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 they had not, not, not fathomed that, that even as a believer, that, that, that their, their trial could be the result of unconfessed sin in their life. They, they, have not, they had not fathomed that th- this particular mystery that they were, they were experiencing but might have been God's hand of chastisement on them trying to turn them in repentance from their sin. I mean, we typically don't think about our trials like that because uh, many times we can point to a human person who's the problem for the trial. We're like, no, 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 God, this ain't you. This is my coworker who sits on aisle two. But David has a perspective that reigns and rules over that perspective. He says, no, God, this is you who, ha- who are doing this. And so David now has the right perspective. He has, he has the, the right hope, and he's clinging to that hope. He's confessed his sin. He wants to be saved. And David essentially says, look, God, I- I'm requesting now that you just spare me from this chastisement. 
Look at, look, at, look at verse 10. He says, he says look, I, I, I remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. David says, okay, this is, this is partially or at least partially due to my own transgressions. Lord, look, I get it. I got it. Can you just back up off? I, I got it. I, I, I understand. But 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 the the, the the hand the heavy hand that you you've laid over my life it's 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 destroying me it's it's overwhelming me can you please spare me this suffering? David was reminded once again of humanity's frailness and the fleeting nature. He he had observed what occurred, what was occurring, and what he was undergoing. This was the discipline of God. As such, he wanted God to hear him and not abandon him. We are, I mean, I often read, I brought this thing up and ain't been using it. Y'all should have told me, Stephen, you got a napkin. Uh, we, we, we often read, oh, Lord, hear my cry. And, 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 and I, every time I read that, particularly in the Psalms, I'm convicted because I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of moments where I cry out. But I see over and over and over again that the people of God are often crying out to God that he would hear them, that he would restore them, that he would he would remove this his hand from them. That is that is chastised. They, they cry out to God. That's not just something that that people who aren't in control of their emotions do. Real believers who understand that the only hope of relief from whatever it is they're going through in this life and especially in the life to come is in crying out to God. Not holding anything back. This, ain't, this isn't about at this point because when, you, when you're really going through something, it ain't, it ain't about how you, how you look. You, you got your little pretty prayers and, and, and you're not trying to get all emotional and you're not trying to mess yourself up. No, no, no. David is crying out to God at this point. He understands that it's God who's doing it and only God can bring relief. So he cries out to God, God, spare me. He says, when you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume him like a moth. Those things that are dear to him. That the, the, the discipline of God has a way of reminding you what's really important. And unfortunately, it's oftentimes we don't realize that until he's taken all the other things away that we had, would have been tempted to cling to. And he reminds us that we ain't got nothing but him and he's all we need. Whenever I heard a preacher ever say something like that in church, and he was like, you know, God might take everything you got away. So I was like, okay, God, don't let it get there. Okay, God, I get it. I got 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 it. But sometimes he'll, he'll, he'll bring you to that point that, that I, I can't depend on family. I can't depend on friends. I can't depend on a stable job. I can't depend on uh, someone else taking care of me. I can't, I can't even put all of my hopes in, in the community of faith that he's put me in. Ultimately, God, you all I got. You all I got. When I read through this, this psalm, and I was thinking about David here, as in many of the Psalms that he's written, I was thinking about David and I was thinking about what he is asking for in this Psalm uh, as, as the king of Israel, as the one who's been anointed as a representative over God's people by Yahweh at this particular moment in human history. But then I was also thinking about, about what God promised David 
that, that God told him in 2 Samuel, God told David that, that he was going to have a throne, yes. And God told him that he was going to establish this Davidic throne forever. So David is sitting on the throne now, and his son will also be sitting on the throne. But, but the text seems to suggest that there is another son of David that's coming. That's going to reign on the throne forever. And every, when I was reading this passage and I read back through it, I, I, I started comparing the David in this passage to the son of David that we worship as our Lord and Savior. David in this passage has trouble muzzling his mouth. Yet the son of David, according to Isaiah 53, 7, was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. David in this passage is requesting that his life be preserved. Yet the son of David, according to John 10, 18, willingly laid down his life. Jahil told us that, that he said, look, in John 10, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Whenever I read that passage, I, I, I kind of contemplate it. Jesus is saying, look, when I go to Jerusalem, it's going to look like I got got. But I'm not getting got. I'm going to get got. There's a difference. says, look, disciples, look, we're going to Jerusalem and some things are about to happen. But understand, I'm telling you right now, no one is about to take my life from me. It's going to look like they take my life, but I'm laying down my life. David, in this passage, is trying to preserve his life. Our Lord and Savior lays down his life willingly. David, in this passage, is asking for relief from suffering so that he can experience joy. Look at the end of the passage. Look at verse 11. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume him like a moth. What is dear to him, surely all mankind is a breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you. Look at verse 13. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. David is saying, look, take this suffering away so that I can experience the joy of life. The son of David, according to Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy set before him endured the cross. The David in this passage is trying to get out of suffering so he can experience joy. The son of David endures the suffering for the joy. The David in, in, in this passage is a sojourner with God. Yet the son of David is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This, this, this David, even though he represents what is to come, he is still a fallen man. We know David had his own problems. He is still infected, as it were, corrupted, as it were, by sin. But the son of David, Jesus comes and he, 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 he literally goes through the same things that David goes through. But he has a different perspective on those things. But he has a different experience with those things. The son of man, the son of David lays down his life for the sheep, according to John 10. It is this same Jesus who reminds us in John 16, 33, that in this life you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have already overcome the world. We've already read about how we ought to think about this uh, punishment, perhaps suffering that we're going through as chastisement. It reminds us it's the paternity test. It tells us that God is our father. We're not illegitimate children. I'll leave you with this. Real talk, best movie ever made. No, 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 best movie. 1984, Karate Kid, I'll fight you. I will fight you. The first Karate Kid with Daniel-san. 
Daniel has gotten himself into a fix with the Cobra Kai dojo. Daniel understands he don't know how to fight, and the Cobra Kai dojo is going to continue to beat him down and beat him up. The, the bad guy's name was Johnny. So Daniel enlists, or rather, put it a, put a better way, uh, uh, Miyagi enlists Daniel. Miyagi chooses Daniel and, and recognizes Daniel's plight, that Daniel has literally fallen and he can't get up. So, so Mr. Miyagi chooses Daniel, chooses to help Daniel. Daniel, I'm going to train you. I'm going to teach you some things. Daniel's like, okay, cool. Okay, okay, cool. I'm not going to get beat down anymore. We're, we're ready to go. Let's go. Let's go. First day, first day of training. Mr. Miyagi says, here we go. Going to teach you karate. Mr. Miyagi says, I got um, some cars that need waxing. Daniel's like, okay, that ain't got nothing to do with karate. <laughs> but okay. So Mr. Miyagi says, okay, I want you to, to, to what? Wax on? Stop acting like y'all ain't seen it. He says, I want you to wax on and wax off. Daniel does this all day. His arms are tired from sunup to sundown. And, and, and when Mr. Miyagi comes back and checks Daniel's work, see, Daniel thinks that this was just a preliminary test or something. He's going to really get into the karate moves. Mr. Miyagi says, oh, I'm good, 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 Daniel. Go home. And Daniel's like, okay, okay, okay. I, I know we talked about karate. I know we talked about karate. Second day, Daniel shows up. Okay, I'm going to learn karate. I don't know what yesterday was, but his cars are waxed. I'm glad. Okay, shows up the next day. Ready to learn karate. Mr. Miyagi says, okay, uh, Daniel, I got some uh, fences that need painting. And, and Daniel's like, okay. <laughs> you know, you, you, you ever laugh at that laugh? It's a laugh, but it's not really a laugh. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. So I got some fences that need painting. And, and, and Mr. Miyagi says, okay, I want you to, uh, long stroke, right? I want you to bend your knees, long stroke, paint the fence, paint the fence. So Daniel paints the whole fence. Comes back to Mr. Miyagi and says, okay, Mr. Miyagi, the fences are painted. Mr. Miyagi says, both sides? Daniel says, not yet, not yet. Didn't do both sides. Didn't do both sides. He goes back and does both sides. That's the end of the second day. Hadn't learned in his mind a bit of karate. Next day, surely he's going to teach me some karate. Next day he shows up. Mr. Miyagi has what? Gone fishing. And Mr. Miyagi has left a note and a can of paint that says house need fence, need painting, but don't go up and down, go side to side. So Daniel paints this house in ugly green. It was ugly green. I don't know why he wanted the house painted green, but he paints it green. Mr. Miyagi shows up at the end of the day, house is painted. Daniel's like, I've had enough. You have not been teaching me karate. And what did we learn? The whole time, all that Mr. Miyagi had had Daniel go through that seemed like it was menial task, didn't make any sense. Look, why am I going through this? You're not teaching me what you said you were going to teach me. The whole time, he had been teaching Daniel how to fight. And I just want to offer this to you, that you're going through something right now that might not be making any sense. You might not understand how it fits in the divine plan that you think that God has for your life. But God is going to use everything that he's sending you through. And at the end of the day, at the end of the age, it's going to make all the sense in the world. James puts it this way. He says, he says, count it all joy. When you, when you go through various trials, because uh, th those trials are, are producing steadfastness. And he says, let steadfastness have its complete work. So at the end of the day, you're going to be complete, lacking nothing. Do you want to look like him at the end of the day? You say, well, oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Well, you got to go through what he has for you to go through so that you can look like what he wants you to look like. Now, that doesn't give you immediate emotional relief for the moment, that it, but it does set your perspective on something greater. And you know that what you're going through is not, it's not going to be long term. It's just temporary. God is, God is shaping you. He's molding you that there is a purpose in this pain. There's a purpose in, in the pain. 
And, and perhaps for some of us who, who have not yet gone through our dark night of the soul, we, we haven't experienced that. Hold on to these kinds of messages. You ain't got to hold on to this one. You can say, Stephen, that one's whack. But hold on to these kinds of messages that give you a perspective of what you do with your suffering. Because understand this. Understand this. You will suffer. But, but, but he's promised that those of us who, 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 who suffer with him are, are, are going to be those who are also going to reign with him. That, 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 that this, this, this walk is a, it's, it's a trial by fire that you, you're going to have to go through. But he says, look, 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 look. There's, there's a joy coming. This, this is a temporary moment. Would you trade in the currency of eternity for, for something temporary? Lord, help, 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 help me not to do that. Help, 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 help us not to do that. Father, we, we, we read psalms like this, and, and, and I, I read psalms like this, and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to, to walk with David through his emotional experience, and I, and I, and I admit that it is, it is sometimes hard for me to apprehend, to, to get inside the mind and the heart. But, Father, I pray that you would help us to, to, to know what is the measure of our days. Father, help us to, 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 to understand that there, there is a, a, a divine perspective on this thing, that, 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 that what we see isn't what's all there is to be said about what's going on. Father, I pray that you would remind those of us here who, who profess the name and those of us in here who don't. Father, I pray that you would remind us that, that with anything we go through, that even as we're, we're crying out for relief, that we're crying out that you would spare us, God, remind us that, 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 that that's all grace. Br- bring to, to, to remembrance the fact that, that you are holy and we are sinful and that, that everything that we could petition you for is, is given by your gracious hand. Father, I pray that you would, that you would help us cling to what is our divine hope and hope is is a person, and his name is Jesus. Father, I pray that, that you would help us in our, in our, in our darkest moments, in our moments of, of the most intense anguish, that you would, you would help us to cling to our eternal hope. Help us to understand, Heavenly Father, that you are showing us that this life, this world, makes promises that it cannot fulfill. But, Father, you have made a promise to us in your Son. And, Lord, we've already heard from Romans chapter 5 that it is a, it is a hope that maketh not ashamed. Meaning we can, we, can, we can believe you at your word, that we can put all of our hope in him, and that at the end of the age, you won't let us down. That he is able to keep what has been entrusted to him until that day. Father, I pray that you remind us of that. And Father, for my brother and my sister who has come in this morning weighed down with I don't know what, going through I don't know what. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one. Maybe it's uh, unemployment. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's an illness of a, of, of, that they have, that a loved one has. Lord, I pray that you would read every human heart in here. And that even as we're sitting in this worship experience, you would remind us that you are not about to be at work. You're already at work. And that, Father, you've, you've called us to, to be faithful and to trust in your faithfulness that even as, as we go through what we're going through, that you are walking through it with us. Father, I pray that you would comfort us right now. 
and that you would do this for your glory and for our eternal good. In Jesus' name, amen.